It's so freaking cold outside. It's so cold that Central Park was practically empty today. Even the dozens of dogs that I normally see on my way to synagogue thought better of going out. One lonely and forlorn boxer looked at me, and I could have sworn he mouthed, my owner is insane. <laughs> He's got this Canada goose coat on with a scarf around his neck, and he threw on me some flimsy jacket that he made out of spare socks. It's so cold that <laughs> it's so cold <laughs> that the few dogs that I did see near the Alice in Wonderland statue had that bewildered look in their eyes as if to say, what the heck is happening here? Can't I micturate for once at home? Look that word up in the dictionary. It's so cold that a Doberman had to be pried off the statue near the Mad Hatter. It's so cold that it seemed to me that everyone on the Upper East Side was on Botox. It's so cold that we thought that no one would show up tonight. <laughs> Not showing up and being cold and different. These are characteristic of our lives today, no? We're emotionally colder, frozen, frigid, frostier than ever before. We're physically absent, distanced, detached and disinterested more than ever. We have fewer meaningful relationships than previous generations. We see family and friends less than previous generations. It's ironic, don't you think? We have the technological tools to be warmer and more present than ever. That was the whole point of virtual technology. It was supposed to transform the world into a village. One community, closer, connected, concerned, more than ever. There are hundreds of people here tonight, right now, partaking in this service. You don't see them, but they see us through those cameras. Who could have dreamt of this virtual community of worshipers even 20 years ago? I remember the day that we installed those cameras. Remember Kander Singer yes. and Sandy? We were among the first synagogues in the world to install live cameras for worship. They were expensive. Some congregants thought they were a waste of resources money that we didn't have back then. But now we have this whole virtual congregation of hundreds and sometimes 
thousands of worshipers every Shabbat and tens of thousands on the high holy days. They link in from all over the world. We hear from them from all over the world, including on a mountaintop in Switzerland. They're part of us. By the way, we love having you. That's why we installed those cameras. For our members who can't leave their homes, for our Snowbird members, for former members, and for the myriads who simply want to partake in this experience. But even you virtual participants often lament that you're not really here. You yourselves often tell me that you miss being here. Because as you say, a virtual relationship, a camera-computer connection can never be as warm as an embrace of flesh and blood. I know some of you who are with us virtually tonight. That's where the green light is. You missed this marvelous experience that we had, freezing our way to synagogue. <laughs> You're sitting there in California, or Florida, or Hawaii, in short sleeves. Some of you may be sipping a glass of wine, doing Pinot petitions. You didn't have to trudge through the wind-blown streets, taking care not to breathe too deeply, as the experts cautioned us, so that we won't freeze our lungs. For those of you who made it tonight, who are actually with us, you should know that the Talmud teaches that we are especially rewarded for making it to synagogue when it's hard. But even those of you who are really here, we moderns are less and less here, even when we're here. It's the same over there. Cell phones ring in the Lincoln Center, in the middle of an opera, or at theater. Even Shakespeare gives us an itching palm. We whip out our devices when Julius Caesar bores us. I've seen the same here. I remember two guys on Rosh Hashanah sitting right next to each other, text messaging one another. Maybe they were playing online video games. Now, don't get me wrong. I love modern life. I embrace modernity fully. I have no desire to go back to those days when three generations lived in a two-story townhouse. I'm not even buying vinyl like all these youngsters who think that stereos are retro cool. I like streaming music. But with every technological advance, something is lost. As Mark Twain wrote, we have not the reverent feeling for the rainbow that the savage has, because we know how it's made. We have lost as much as we have gained by prying into that matter. By acquiring so many skin-deep friends, we've lost the depth, the texture, the richness of relationships. 
We may have hundreds of virtual friends, but hardly any real friends. Ask yourselves truly, are the friendships we have as deep, as meaningful, as reinforcing as the relationships of yesteryear? Are we really there for friends? Or do we just say that as code that we're not really there? We don't really care. I'm there for you often really means I'm not there for you. There's a verse in this week's Parsha Mishpatim. And God said to Moses, come up to me to the mountain and be there. And I will give you the stone tablets with the teachings and the commandments which I have inscribed. It's a pivotal verse. This is the verse that summons Moses up the mountain to Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments and all the laws of the Torah. It's an awesome moment demanding Moses' full attention. The sages notice the particular way the verse is phrased. And God said to Moses, Come up to me to the mountain and be there. Why the redundancy? Asked the rabbis. Why come up to the mountain and then add the words Ve'yesham? and be there. Where else would Moses be? If he is on the mountain, then he's there. Why didn't the Torah, a book known for its brevity, for not wasting even a letter, why did Tanakh not simply say, come up to me to the mountain? Why add the words, ve'esham, and be there? The Kotzka Rebbe gave this response. Even one who strains himself to ascend onto a high mountaintop and is able to reach the summit, it is nonetheless still possible that he is still not there. Even though he may be standing on the very peak itself, his head may be somewhere else. In other words, God was commanding Moses when receiving the Torah to be there not only physically, not only be present, but to really be there intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. That is what this moment and this relationship required, body and soul. It's so much more difficult for us today to be there or anywhere. We're easily distracted, diverted, distanced, divided, disappointed, dissatisfied, distressed, and demoralized. We're overwhelmed with noise, busyness, and chaos. We think that we can circumvent having to be there by being virtually there. Now, of course, being virtually there is often better than not being there at all. You worshipers in balmy, sunny, warm, beautiful California, 
Stay connected every Shabbat. If the alternative is not being here or there or anywhere in synagogue. In particular, since many of you have told me that being virtually here moves you more than being physically there, wherever you are. I often attend screenings of plays from London. It's not the same as being at the National Theater. A screen can never replace the live interaction. Still, it's so much better than missing the performance entirely. But realize that when it comes to the most meaningful relationships of our lives, deep, profound, soulful connections require being there. As the Kotzka Rebbe described, your head and your heart need to be fully engaged. The Kotzka concludes, the main point of the verse is to emphasize not the ascent, but to be there and only there, and not to be above and below at the same time.